What do we say, fam? Welcome to Simplexity, the conversation that Boots and I have weekly where we take complex matters and attempt to make them plain and simple. My name is Sammy Foster, joined with my co-host, of whom I've already named, the one and only Robert Campbell Smart, a.k.a. Boots. Boots. Just so you know, um, a lot of people at the church, when I run into them, they shout out, Bootsy! See, that's that's what I'm after. That's what you want? That is exactly what I want. I, I do not want to be the sole proprietor of your nickname. Well, okay? I you are not adopted. anymore. A mission accomplished, Amen. my friend. If that's what you sought out to do. Yes. So today we're flying without our producer, Becca. Uh, so feel a little, uh, little uncaged. A little out today. of sorts. <laughs> yes. Shout out to Beck, who is home under the weather today. But mm. on the mend, yeah. on the mend, it sounds like she got her antibiotics and she's going to be back at it in no time. Mm. We love you back. She aims to get over the weather pretty soon. Yes. <laughs> you are a cheese ball. That's true. Uh, yeah, so if we say anything unsettling today, it's because Becca wasn't here to stop it. So really, you should blame her. That's anything, exactly right. If anything yeah. offends you. If this podcast is terrible, it's because um, we, we we were flying solo. Yeah. I'm sort of excited. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. We've yeah. got a lot. We've got a lot of papers, a lot of prep. Yeah. Talking about clutter from a few weeks ago that you mocked me for. You've yeah, got a yeah. daggone library. This is very here. true. This is very true. Why? Because the subject matter requires some underpinning. That's true. Today. And it requires some factual stats that uh, I think uh, really lend weight to what we're going to be talking about. And that is? That is... It's kind of a broad topic mm-hmm. um, of where we find ourselves in church and in religion right now, 2022. Yeah, kind of. It's almost as if it's like a state of the union. Like, okay, what do we what do we see going on right now? Right, and the complexity therein. We're not going to get super granular with with particular things, but um, deconstruction one yeah. of the topics kind of the falling away of the church that yeah. we've seen a little bit but before we get into that i feel like it's worth noting the the unique perspective that you have on the topic in the sense that throughout season 1 of simplexity uh, we've talked about a variety it of sounds good doesn't it season 1 of simplexity season 1 yes it's got a punch to it yeah uh, we've talked about a number of different things from you know practical Topical from habits to relationships, politics, um, little politics on the side. But this is one that is not to say that the others weren't, but this is squarely in your wheelhouse in the sense that you are the pastor of Lighthouse Church. Yeah. And so I feel like you do have a unique perspective and an ability to speak into not only what you see here in our local body, but also the church as a whole in 2022 and the complexities therein. Right. Of which there are many. I would also say that I think you be the fact that you have been in church and um, surrounded by great pastors, great pastors, the best of the best, (laughs) Um, uh, a lion's share of your life. You share um, a lot of similarities of where I derive my perspective. And I would just say that when it comes to church and religion in 2022, there are a ton of complexities. And I felt the uptick of the complexity, 
you know, certainly pre-COVID, but man, it became parabolic mm. post-COVID where now we find ourselves deep in the mud of all of the surrounding issues as it pertains to organized religion, Christianity, um, those that are affiliated with being a disciple of Jesus and those that have decided not to be affiliated with Jesus. And I've had a front row seat to this, not just in the church that I pastor, but also being surrounded by other pastors that I'm in constant community with. Um, and we often midrash and compare notes to what we're seeing. What and, are you seeing? And so what I am seeing is very in keeping with what the data shows. And that is that there is a great falling away, that there is more and more people, which at times feels, you know, weekly, even daily, where people have decided, I want to walk away from the Christian faith, yeah. or I no longer want to be publicly identified as a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I've more treated that as a private matter. Those that have switched from Christianity to Gnosticism or atheism or the like, um, while at the same time there has become a degree of hostility towards, you know, organized religion mm -hmm. and those that hold to um, what some would describe an old school orthodoxy, where we are convinced that there is tenets of our faith, that there are clear precepts and disciplines as followers of Jesus, mm -hmm. that there are true do's and don'ts, that there have uh, been, due to the increase in progressivism and increase of liberalism, um, that more and more people are starting to reevaluate, wait a minute, do I hold to an orthodoxy or um, the authority of scripture. And yeah. so I have witnessed this. I'm in conversations to those that are walking through this. And so I think all the data really underpins this at the same time. Yeah. And as we mentioned before, we do have a lot of articles of, of the sort. Yes. Um, but before we get into the, the data that does support what you like how I said data and you said data. I just had to do that for some Tomata, reason. Tomato, yeah, tomato. Exactly. Before we get into that, I do think it's helpful to point out some of the plausible reasons as to why we have seen that uptick in people not identifying with the church, falling away, separating, don't right. want to be identified as a, as a Christian. Um, what are some of those things that we've seen in recent years that you think have potentially led to that? Yeah, um, some of the very at face value reasons that people quickly point to would be the very sort of public findings of financial misappropriation, where, you know, more and more due to social media and the ability to really capture these stories and put them on blast, we're hearing about more and more pastors that were viewed as men of integrity or women of integrity misappropriating church funds for their own personal benefit, things like that. So I would say financial misappropriation. Hiding money in walls, that sort of thing. Totally. Drywalls behind the toilet, under mattresses, things like that. <laughs> um, second to that would be the increased sort of media that surrounds sexual misconduct 
even sexual abuse. So, you know, many people in their perspective really align, you know, Catholicism with Protestantism. And so they just see both as Christians. Mm -hmm. But when you are constantly hearing about sexual scandal in, you know, the Catholic Church, and then you hear about pastors of Protestant pastors that are having affairs or that there was sexual abuse or there was cover up. Yeah. They all get lumped together. Um, and so that has been one of the direct results of the falling away or the distrust that people have with organized religion. Uh, thirdly would be misogyny would be that some people would argue that Christianity has become the good old boys club where men are um, at the helm at the abuse of those that are underneath of them. That is a major outcry and complaint of those that have uh, issue with Christianity or religion. The third would be this increase in Christian celebrity. Um, this is relatively new, although mm -hmm. if you were to back rewind the tape to the mid 80s, we've always tended to put people on pedestals yeah. and pastors and public figures. But now we've celebritized them. Is that a word? Uh, I think so. I think so as well. <laughs> and like I often say, if Webster gets to make up words, why can't I? <laughs> Okay, and so <laughs> he but, defined words. He didn't really make them up. But uh, let's let's not get into the weeds. tomato, tomato <laughs> boots. Yeah. All right, let me have my time. Yeah. Um, but but we have we've made icons out of pastors and religious leaders. For some, we've made them sexual icons, mm -hmm. where it's become ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I, I want to forego naming names, but. You know, it was recent that before actually his fall, and his fall was due to sexual misconduct, actually he had an affair. But prior to that, he, there was this one particular pastor that was uh, truly viewed as a celebrity. Mm -hmm. um, he actually took a gig of where he was a model for uh, a, a, a particular tailor and their line of suits. Um very modern suits, may I add, and very <laughs> dapper suits, I would also add. But I remember watching this and thinking, this is so bizarre on so many fronts that, as Scripture says, you can't serve two masters. And I understand that what Jesus was speaking to in that sense was money, mm -hmm. that you can't be a true disciple of mine while at the same time worshiping the almighty dollar. But that has also a wide swath to it, that you can't be promoting yourself and a clothing line while at the same time be shepherding people. Mm -hmm. There is a true conflict of interest. But as You're a shepherding them to Joseph A. Bank. <laughs> no, that it wouldn't be that line of suits. Okay. Okay. Although I do like Joseph A. Banks. <laughs> okay. No, you're suits. We'll talk suits. about fashion soon, okay? Just offline. Yeah. Oh no, no. We're gonna do an episode of that online. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. You got a lot of material to bring to that episode, don't you? <laughs> I'm not going to be here that day. I'll be like Becca. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> yeah, under you'll the weather. Be under the weather. Yeah. And then lastly would be hypocrisy. That 
now because there are so many cameras that have a direct shot of what's happening in churches, what pastors are preaching, what we claim we stand for, um, there has been this line of thought that, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say. But that then has been really scrutinized because there has been a very clear demonstration of hypocrisy within the church that people now are smart to and they have seen and that has lent itself to the negative PR that we have brought upon ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so when you take those matters and they become the backdrop of what we're preaching or what we claim that we stand for and they are in people's mind's eye, there is an understandable falling away Mm -hmm. that people now have scrutinized and have grown cynical and critical towards religion and the church in 2022. And, and, and one thing that I feel like is worth pointing out, all of the things that we just said, not, not to justify any of it, whether it's, again, financial, sexual misconduct, that sort of thing, we don't justify any of it. No, certainly but, not. But we can see it through through the Christian worldview of people are broken. This yep. shouldn't necessarily surprise us. Absolutely. So that's why, you know, if if you see that from a lens of, well, this this pastor failed or this church in particular was was corrupt, throw it out. Throw all of Christianity out. Right. I challenge that. Absolutely. Because you shouldn't you shouldn't really be surprised. Absolutely pastors and leaders and teachers should be held to a higher standard, and there should be accountability in those cases. But accountability does not equal throwing something out in its entirety. Most certainly not. And so, to your point, when I consider, you know, the data, I consider my own personal... Yeah, let's let's get into the data. Yes. So, so as it pertains to the data, Pew Research Center has now clarified that self-identified Christians make up 63% of the U.S. population in 2021, that was noted, down from 75% a decade ago. And so we are down some 12% from just 10 years ago. That is not only seismic, but that is, that's unprecedented. The reason that it's unprecedented is because prior to a decade ago, it would uptick by one to 2%. So it would trend upward. What that meant was, is that Christianity had a positive influence to where people were being met rather than people walking away. People were actually coming to faith rather than walking away from the faith. And so not only for those that would argue, well, 12% doesn't seem that big of a deal. No, it's a big deal because not only are we down 12%, but we are moving rapidly in the wrong direction. It's a a trend reversal. Absolutely. Lastly, currently about three in 10 U.S. adults, 30%, are religious nuns, which means no affiliation whatsoever. And so they don't want to be identified as Christians. Neither do they want to be identified as atheists. They just don't want to weigh into the religious fray at all. Kind of like what we talked about with politics, the apolitical. Now, add to that, I want to sort of 
lend my perspective to this conversation from the vantage point of a pastor that it was recent that a gentleman that I follow, blogger, um, writer by the name of Kerry Newhoff put out the increased sort of swell in the deconstruction movement. The deconstruction movement is actually um, a movement where evangelicals and those that really did ascribe to the Christian faith, were followers of Jesus, regular in church attendance, are now starting to deconstruct their faith. And he outlined five reasons that they are, five reasons why they are now tampering with organized church life in 2022, why they're even tampering with um, uh, really old school orthodoxy and tampering with the legitimacy of scripture's authority. He gives five reasons. One would be um, that we live in a more diverse and accessible and mobile world. So now there is the influx of information more so than there ever has been. That even in Christian universities and in um, talking circles, people are saying, wait a minute, you can't believe the authority of Scripture because it's antiquated and now there's new findings. I don't believe there's anything new under the sun. I believe that there's new fashioned lies, mm-hmm. but there isn't new findings that undermine the authority of Scripture, but people claim that there are. Second to that would be high-performing Christians are simply burning out. That What that means is, is that more and more people with the uh, sort of wake or the current that is in their face of cultural pushback, persecution, people that argue against orthodoxy, more and more Christians are burning out in trying to maintain their faith, walk uprightly, hold fast to a biblical worldview. They're just getting tired and fatigued, and so they're throwing in the towel. Yeah, and that, that burnout could also lend itself to some of those things that we talked about Absolutely. on the front end. Absolutely. A burnt-out pastor is more likely to have a moral failure. <laughs> Most certainly. <laughs> right. And uh, those that are trying to cover up moral failures while at the same time maintain the optics that they're walking in integrity, yeah. that, that will lend itself to fast burnout as well. He also notes the prideful prioritization of conformity over unity, that there is this uh, drumbeat of you got to talk this way, you got to look this way, you got to act this way, some of which is right. Yeah. Some of which is, is as followers of Jesus, we should demonstrate certain behaviors. We should be compassionate and gracious while at the same time truthful and clear. We should be eternally focused, not just temporarily focused. We should be kind even to our enemies. Mm-hmm. And so there are some things that we should prioritize, but what, what Kerry would argue is if you beat the drum of conformity over unity, then at times it can come across as self-righteous or arrogant, which I have seen some pastors fall into. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I, I, so I read the article as well. That, that one did throw me a little bit in the sense that, sure, you can take it to its extreme. But his, his, quote, his quote was, unfortunately, many faith communities narrow the discipleship path to a rigid 
set of doctrinal stances that doubles as a source of tribal identity and pride. Huh, yeah. So I hear you if you're making secondary things primary. Yeah. But to be a Christian, you do have to hold to certain doctrinal stances. So I'd like to know a little bit more in depth what he meant by that. Yeah. So maybe it was what you were saying as far as overly beating the drum of, hey, if you don't believe this kind of secondary or tertiary thing, then you're not a real follower of Jesus. Yeah. But but we are seeing an aversion to hold to any doctrinal stances, and that's not the solution to um, deconstruction. Absolutely. What I read in that when he notes the prideful priori- prioritization of conformity over unity is this adverse effect that happens when pastors or leaders self-righteously beat the stump of morality rather than missionally, Mm -hmm. meaning they just throw red meat to their constituents or they talk about it should be this way and they rail against culture or this present day, not to say that I haven't and that I won't. But when you do so with an arrogance, as he noted, pridefully, without thinking through, wait a minute, what if there are people that have not heard the gospel yet and have not understood the why behind my what and have not heard a tone of sensitivity in me as I try to connect with their soul, then people will just box you out and just lump you in with he's just self-righteous or arrogant or prideful because he's preaching about conformity rather than reaching across the aisle from where I sit. And there's some that do that. The blessing is is that you you probably haven't witnessed a lot of that in this church. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You're right. I'm just like, I I couldn't even imagine that. I couldn't imagine. (laughs) I can't relate. That doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. And then lastly... Just just for the sake of time, he notes that a lot of deconstruction is happening because of the acceptance of political idolatry and, and conspiracy theories in Christianity. So um, I know that you got a lot to say about this one. <laughs> <laughs> I like how every time I like just smile, you, you, you're immediately your real start. Playing. I love it. I yeah. love it. I know that your guns are cocking and that you're like, all right, let me add it. But there is, I think, you know, in recent elections, in recent campaigns, in the recent political environment, we have turned politics to a degree into this idolatrous sort of, uh, you know, as we talked about weeks ago, new religion that for some it's trumped their Jesus-centered religion. (laughs) Good catch. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree with that. I just I feel I feel like if 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 you're going to mention that in the article, you have to you have to also discuss the postmodern influence of I feel like that's a bigger that's a bigger catalyst in in deconstruction than than people who post on Facebook about Trump. Right. I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah. In the sense that postmodernism is the idea that there is no absolute truth it's it's a rejection of authority it's a rejection of doctrine it's a rejection of church history and it's to say i am the ultimate authority 
I don't think you can you can talk about deconstructionism without its its political angle. Yep. In it's the good. sense that can you can you think can you think of a someone who is deconstructed? Right. That is a staunch conservative. Certainly not. Uh, not me. No. I I can't. Maybe let us know. <laughs> yeah. But so that's why I'm just kind of like when I hear that fifth point of well, it's it's the conspiracy theories of, you know, and yeah. I'm just kind of like, is that, is that the main culprit? I'm, it's present. Yeah. I, I don't want to say it's not present. Right. Because we do have, we do have people who have made idols of their politics and we talked about that. Absolutely. Um, but you can't separate deconstructionism from, from its postmodern political aim and agenda. No, no, D- just, just to note, you know, that's one of, one of five, but, but. Regardless, as it pertains to the political idolatry and the conspiracy theories, that is simply one of five. All that to say, I, I just I, I want it noted that the reason when I talk to other pastors, yeah, and so I'll let you in on a little inside baseball. When I talk to other pastors and I'm in conversations with church leaders, um, and, and all of this data obviously shows a negative trend. And I hear about people, you know, that are growing up in arms over this matter and that are, you know, freaking out over, you know, whether it's the decline of church attendance or the influx of liberalism. I, I, I have a sort of a unique perspective in that I understand right now in 22 that the church is being pushed around a lot. And that we're taking a lot of shots on, on the chin. But I look at all of that through the lens of my great God and King Jesus said, I'm going to build my church yep. and the gates of hell, which are much more ferocious and much more substantial than just cultural trends and or people. He said the gates of hell mm-hmm. will not prevail against it. All, what that says to me is I can confidently look to my God and and the builder of the church and know he's not going to fail. Yeah. And though we're taking it on the chin, I think in many ways it's going to be for our good. And some would argue how could you say that and why do you think that? And I think that because the scriptures say that judgment starts with the house of the Lord. So when I hear all of these accusations and I hear about the reasons people are either walking away or deconstructing their faith, wherein before I get defensive, I hear plausible reasons and and in some ways understandable accusations that people have towards the church. And I think that God is going to use where truth is and where those accurate accusations are, he's going to use them to refine us. Mm -hmm. Scripture says that judgment starts with us and that Jesus is going to build his church. That means that he disciplines those that he loves and he's going to course correct where we're off. I do believe that in westernized Christianity, we have gotten off course. We've made it man-centric. We have walked without integrity in some portions, that we have made it an enterprise rather than an organic relationship with Jesus, that the last thing Jesus intended was to establish another religion. 
What he came as the savior of the world, embedded himself in and among the people that he created to show us not just by example, but as our great liberation, as our savior, how it is that we were to be restored to a relationship with God. And then as he ascended, he established the local church, which is the hope of the world. He's going to refine it. He's going to discipline it. He is going to refine it with fire at times, and he's going to refine it with with pain at times. Right now, we have to be course corrected. I think that some of the things we're enduring, it might get worse before it's going to get better, but I am fully convinced that we're going to come out of this more established in what Jesus intended, refined to be the city on a hill, whose light cannot be hidden. And so right now, we have to go into the lab and take some serious inventory. What is it that we've allowed? What is it that Jesus is course correcting? And what is it that we need to own? And I think it's all for our good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not every accusation is accurate. I don't own everything. But before I get defensive, I want to listen and go, what though is truthful? And what do we need to own? And what do we need to reestablish as the standard Jesus set that we've either minimized or undervalued? And so I think some of that is happening right now. Yeah. And the enemy, as scripture says, this is not a battle between flesh and blood that a lot of people have forgotten, but this is a spiritual battle of principalities, powers, and rulers of this dark age. But Jesus will not be thwarted, and he's going to build his church. And I'm here for it. Come on, somebody. I am here for it, but I want to be found as one of those leaders that are full of integrity, that walk in humility, and that actually can speak without being defensive to the problems that we're facing. And so it is exceedingly complex right now, but I do believe that there is a solution. Um, So what does it look like for us to go back to the lab, so to speak? And and what, what do you see those areas of refining that are necessary, what does it look like to get back to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, number one, it begins with sound theology. It begins with a high view of scripture. Mm-hmm. It begins with a high regard of church and how Jesus established his church and the principles and precepts that he wants for his church. But that begins with a high view of God and a high view of the sacred scriptures. And so what I feel was somewhat of the segue to the secularism that's invaded the church, the progressivism that's taken over the church, the Mm -hmm. liberalism that's found in the church, is we have undervalued sound biblical theology. And so we've become more of a Tony Robbins sort of gathering. We've become motivational, that we've made it all about people rather than God. We've lost our awe that when it comes to the creator of heaven and earth, the great king of the universe, we have sort of devalued it and elevated people. Man, that became the, the primary slippery slope that then swung wide the doors for all of the nonsense now found in the church yeah. and all of the accusations that are coming at the church. We have got to return to sound theology. And that begins with a high, high view of scripture 
and um, a high, high view of God. Yeah. You, you mentioned we need to own the things that we've gotten wrong. We've played into that. Yes. We've played into subjectivism. That's we've right. played into the idea that you have your truth, you have my truth, not only culturally, but totally. in the church. Yeah. You think about, you know, well, what does this verse mean to you? Right. How many times have we heard that oh in our gosh. circles when the question should be, what does this verse mean? Yes. What was Paul trying to say here? And then by association, this is what it means to me because of what it meant at the time. Absolutely. Um, you've heard the phrase, beauty's in the eyes of the beholder. Right. Because, right. because beauty is subjective, though. Yeah. But we've taken that, we've run with it, and we've made it meaning is in the mind of the reader. So Absolutely. whatever I read into this is what it means. Good. Um, and we need to own that where we've done that as in, in, in the church. Absolutely. Um, and also recognize that that's one of the cultural inf influences going on right now as to undermine sound theology, sound doctrine. That's right. And so where there's subjectivism, there's relativism. And so relativism is to raise the question, wait a minute, is this relevant to where I am? Is this still truthful for today? We have changed, we've evolved, we've been enlightened, we're now, you know, there's more accessible truth. So we have championed relativism at the same time. And, and not to just sort of speak big words here, but where there's been relativism, there has been an overemphasis on contextualization, meaning that we have tried to take scripture and contextualize it so much so that we can make it pragmatic yeah. and step-by-step -step and user-friendly and unknowingly what we've done by this overemphasis on contextualizing scripture and trying to make it relevant, we've, in a way, made it a bit anemic. Like, we, we have undermined the power of it. And we've even coddled, like, biblical illiteracy. So, oh, you don't need to read the scripture. Just come to, to church and get a little three-point sermon on how to make your life better. Yeah. And then go on your merry way, thinking that that was sustainable. When it comes to church history, when it comes to even the message found within the pages of Scripture, Christianity is a very doctrinal and intellectual religion. Yeah. Meaning there are 66 books that our God-breathed provided for you and I to teach us, to reprove us, to rebuke us, to reveal to us not only who God is, but who we are in light of that, that scripture is a mirror of motives and intents. You know, Paul says that, you know, the scriptures are sharper than any two-edged sword, divides soul and spirit, shows the very motives and intents of the heart, that it, it must be studied. And we have undermined it all in the name of reaching people, not knowing that we were devaluing mm -hmm. And I don't think that it was our intent to do so, but as a byproduct, we have devalued sound theology. And so the only hope that we have to get back to being on track is that we have to return to sound theology. 
and a high view of God. Yeah. No longer tolerating, well, Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is the king of the universe that spoke that which is seen and unseen into existence. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a lot bigger than our homeboy. Yeah. He needs to be regarded much, much higher than that. But second to that is once you establish sound theology, I think naturally what ensues is that then there must be the restoration of sound polity. Polity is um, just the definition of a good, integral church government and leadership. Okay. That when it's like it, where we get the word politics from. Polity. Exactly. So polity is the 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 establishment of leaders that hold to sound theology, have a high view of God and the sacred scriptures, and then understand sound biblical church governance. And so one of the major issues that's caused our distrust or people's distrust in the local church and organized religion is the undermining of sound polity. That there are leaders that have no accountability. That there are leaders that have sole power or influence and they have to answer to no one and there's no checks and balances within the system. Like pastors. Exactly. And so because of uh, deconstruction of sound theology, naturally what in, ensues is, is a deconstruction of um, sound biblical polity. I think in order for us to get back on track, there must be um, the reestablishment of accountable church governance. Yeah. That there are not maverick leaders that can just, just because they have a lot of Instagram followers mm-hmm. or there's a lot of people in attendance to their church and they're silver tongued and they have charisma, that they get a hall pass. Oh, no, no, no. I think that those people should have more checks and balances. Yeah. So when it comes to Lighthouse Church, um, our church governance that we believe is biblical is that we are elder led and we're staff run. That means that the umbrella over Lighthouse Church consists of nine men, nine men where we hold one another accountable. These nine men are not yes men. They all have their own individual walk with Jesus. They're men of integrity. They're men that see the the need and the mandate on their life to be above reproach. They're men that have walked with Jesus for a length of time, so their tenure is not short. They're wise. They're accomplished for some of them. They've raised their children. They've endured marriage hardship. And yet now we look across the table at one another as Uh, a degree of accountability and integrity and it protects the flock and it doesn't allow any one person to be above scrutiny. Mm -hmm. And I think that has proven to be exceedingly healthy for us that nobody gets a hall pass here and that nobody is the superior leader here. Although I would be uh, viewed or identified as the lead pastor of Lighthouse Church, when it comes to the elder boards, I'm one among equals. Yeah, And that has proven to be the checks and balances that have kept things honest and, and the focus being on Jesus, not just a single personality or a senior leader. Yeah. And not only does it protect the flock, as you said, it protects the leaders as well. Amen. To know I am accountable. So there must be sound theology 
There must be sound polity. And then lastly, uh, this is is a passion point of mine because a lot can get lost in the sauce of organized religion. There must be sound intimacy. What that means is, is that before the religion of our Christian faith becomes the most foreseen thing, that must be undergirded and underpinned by people and leaders that have an intimate relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And if I can jump in real quick there, I would say, I think a lot of times when someone deconstructs, yeah, they're trying to get there. Yes. They're trying huh. to get to the I just want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. I want to do my own thing. I don't need to believe certain things. Yeah. I don't need to do certain things. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to identify as a Christian. This is my spiritual walk. Yeah. So we would we would say that that, that one-on-one connection and relationship with Jesus is a vital part Absolutely. of these three things that we're talking through. Yes. But the problem is we've tried to short-circuit it. And, yes. and jump there immediately and disregard sound theology and sound polity, but all three need to work together. 100%. And so the rise in individualism or, hey, I'm just going to do my walk with Jesus privately, but not publicly. I don't need the church to help me. This was never intended uh, to, to, to be this over that. All that type of, of stuff is really undermining at its at its basis if you look at it i am the loudest and most for an intimate relationship with jesus but many times the prioritization over that can undermine sound theology yeah where there is sound theology there naturally will be sound polity you can't get away from what scripture shows us about jesus and his church and try to make them mutually exclusive. Uh Uh-uh. If you are sound in your perspective of God and the scriptures, then naturally you will have a sound perspective of God and his church. Mm -hmm. And you will see that neither one of those will undermine intimacy. Mm -hmm. Like It it seems like those two are the, the guardrails. For yes. intimacy, in the sense that I was just thinking, this is off the cuff. Sorry, this doesn't resonate or connect. Try, um, yeah. But Old Testament, Cain and Abel, the brothers who both brought um, different yep. offerings to God. God accepted Abel's. Yeah. He rejected Cain's. Right. Cain didn't have the per- the prerogative to say, "This is how I'm going to approach God." Hmm. This is how I'm going to present an offering to him. This is how I'm going to connect to him. No, God determines how we connect to him. That's God right. determines what what connection with Jesus and what intimacy with Jesus That's looks good, like. Man. We need sound theology and sound polity in order to connect in the proper way. That's exactly right. Absolutely. All the more as a collective of believers. When people... When people champion intimacy while at the same time undermining sound theology and polity we get weird yeah we get weird yeah you know cain brought god an offering as he felt 
God would accept. Yeah. And God rejected it. Abel brought what he knew God already predetermined, Mm -hmm. and he just stuck to it. He didn't try to reinvent the wheel. He didn't try to get cute. He did it as God designed it, and God received it and was blessing him for it. But when it comes to us, we have this proclivity to get weird, and we do so when we individualize things and say, we'll do it on our terms. The world is chock full of that right now. Yeah. And people are deconstructing so they feel empowered in that right now. And before you know it, we're going to get weirder and weirder and things are going to spin more and more out of control. And so I think when you have those three in alignment, theology, polity, intimacy, man, it's that where there is simplicity. Come on, somebody. You didn't see that coming, did no, you? I didn't. Oh, that's how that's the anecdote for the complexity. And that is all God requires. He lays it out for us. Let's just stick to the already given script and then reap the blessings therein. And so that's why I do get excited about, I think we're we're coming home. It was St. Augustine one time that said, Uh the church is a whore, but she's still my mother. Like, like, that's a heavy statement. Yeah. But what he was saying is you can say a lot of things about the church, but she's still the bride of Christ. Absolutely. And she's still our community. And so I know, I know we got a lot of, you know, egg on the face right Junk now. Junk in the trunk. Junk. <laughs> You've been listening to a little Nicki Minaj, haven't you? I know. Actually. Oh, you just tipped your hand. <laughs> no, I did Foods. not. We'll talk about that offline. offline. Yeah. <laughs> but I think... I think there is a recalibrating happening. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for it, and I believe that we're going to be better yeah. for it. I agree. I think that we uh, we managed okay yeah. without Becca today. I think so. You know, Becca, you're fired. <laughs> no, <laughs> we we couldn't do this again. This took everything. Oh, this my gosh. Took- oh, we got papers and, and Unreal. scribble and extra water bottles i'm out of coffee <laughs> yeah i'm exhausted becca come back soon please <laughs> um but with that being said if you guys enjoyed this episode uh go ahead and follow us wherever you get your podcasts follow us on instagram as well at simplexity podcast yep we're on youtube mm. gonna keep reminding you lighthouse church channel simplexity playlist yes yep absolutely We love you guys. 